Welcome online campus. Hope you guys are doing well. My name is Pastor Jesse. I get to oversee the small groups, the connect groups here at Grace Church, which is the ministry for adults. And if, you know, we start out in a church as an individual in a church. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we move from an individual to a loved part of this amazing, beautiful church community. Well, have you ever had a moment like this where you're driving in the number one lane on the freeway and, you know, there's some traffic, but you're moving at a good speed and then all of a sudden a person just cuts in front of you in the number one lane and they're driving pretty slow. And I pull up behind them and I slow down and I'm trying to, like, get around them, but there's too many cars over there. You know what I'm talking about? Have you had that moment? And all of a sudden my heart just starts to, like, beat a little faster, my my. I'm breathing a little bit harder. I'm feeling the, the anger and the anxiety just begin to build up inside of me. Have you felt that before? And I look over, and my wife and my four kids are behind me, and she's like, don't even think about it, Jesse. In that moment, this person, I'm just doing, driving on the freeway, doing good, and this person just gets in front of me, and they are this difficult person, my enemy, in the moment. How do you deal with difficult people when they just come out of nowhere, this curveball, Maybe it's, maybe you're, a, you know, a better driver than me. Maybe it's that irritating coworker that just gets under your skin. Maybe, you know, your kid is in a, in a team sport and it's a parent of, you know, on the other team or the, the coach that just bugs, that just bugs you. Maybe it's that opinionated family member. In this series called Curveball, we're, we're learning how to deal with all that life throws at us. And Two, a few weeks ago, we talked about how do we eliminate hurry from our lives. And a couple weeks ago, Chelsea talked about how do we, that, that God is with us in the midst of depression. Today is not so much about a circumstance or a feeling, but it's a person, that curveball of a difficult person. Today, we're learning how to deal with difficult people. Now, there are difficult people are all around us, right? And we've had to deal with difficult people from the, our whole lives, from childhood Maybe it was that annoying sibling. You, maybe you had that brother or sister that just, bugged, that just bugged you. Or maybe it was a family member that was like inappropriate, that really got under your skin. Or maybe, you know, as a kid you can remember back to being on the blacktop at recess or in the school bus. Um, and that, that, that other student just really bugged you. And for, you know, most of the difficult people in our lives, you know, they bug us and it's really not a big deal. But some really bug us to the point of really, like, hurting us. Maybe you think back to those difficult people in your lives, and you're like, man, they, they really left a mark on me. They really hurt me. You know, these difficult people from the past, and even some of them in the present, they can shape us, and they can influence us. And when, we, when you think about that difficult person, maybe from childhood, and you really begin to their face comes to your mind. Maybe anger begins to build up inside of you. Maybe you wish you can, like, take revenge on them for the way that they hurt you. Now, what they did to you is not okay, but how do we deal with that? How do we process that? We need to be careful because the hurt that other people have done to us can get internalized inside of us, and without us even realizing it, we can become hurtful people to those around us, to those that we love, and maybe wishing that other person harm. 
or holding on to that hate that we have for that person, it doesn't actually help, but it just feeds more of it inside of us and comes out. You see, uh, there's a man named James. He was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote a book called the Epistle of James, the letter of James to these churches that were scattered. And he, one of the problems that they're having is they, there was internal conflict going on. And in James chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to notice where the source of this conflict is coming from. James 4, 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You see, what causes the conflict and the difficulty and the fights over and over again? James is saying that the source of it is in you. You know, the wisdom of James is that when we're dealing with difficult people, they are a difficult person. I'm, you know, we don't want to dismiss that. But dealing with them, the starting point is to look inward. When that overly political, opinionated, emotionally imbalanced family member comes in hot at you at Thanksgiving or, you know, whenever it is, are you going to react to that person or are you going to respond to that person. You see, reacting is a little bit like a mirror. You see this mirror here? Now, the mirror, all it does is it sees what comes at it, and it just reflects right back whatever comes at it. It doesn't change what it sees. It just reflects and reacts and gives it right back. You know, sometimes we wish that a mirror would be different. You know, I wake up in the morning, make my way to the bathroom, and I look in the mirror. I'm like, oh, shoot. Is that what it sees? Man, I wish that that mirror would transform what it sees, but it doesn't do that, right? It just reflects back whatever it sees. You know, when your kids, for example, with all of their immaturity and, you know, feelings and, and you know, our kids um, have anxiety, right? And they have these challenges inside of them, and, and they can come in and just spew all of this stuff at us as parents and am I going to be like a mirror that just reflects back that immaturity or am I going to be able to stop and transform it and respond differently you see we need to be more like a water filter see this water filter here what the water filter does is it takes in the water the city water with you know all of its impurities and calcium or whatever's in there and the filter it, it, it processes it, and it takes it out, and it gives you back something, something wonderful. It gives you back something uh, clean and healthy. And that is what we need to do. We need to not reflect the immaturity, but be like a mir- uh, water filter that processes and gives back something healthy when difficult people come at us. So you can ask yourself, what response should I give to this person that is best for them? Now, if we're honest, people, if we're honest, this is really, really difficult. It often requires us to do the exact opposite of what our feelings and our impulses are telling us to do, right? Part of my uh, story is that when I was 19 years old, I ended up in jail for methamphetamine, which ended a four-year pretty heavy substance drug 
abuse um, lifestyle. And praise God, it's how I gave my life to God, and that's how my life was transformed almost 20, uh, actually over 20 years ago. But I got arrested and went to court, and they ended up giving me 10 days in jail. And I was able to take those 10 days and, and do five weekends of work program in the park. And so I showed up that first weekend on, on Saturday morning, did my work. Sunday, did my work. The second weekend, I show up at that same park, and it's just me and the park ranger. No one else shows up. And after a, a little bit, the park ranger looks at me and says, hey, Jesse, if no one shows up, you can go. So he jumps in his truck and takes off. And I wait there 10 minutes, just kind of waiting, hoping no one shows. No one shows up. So what do I do? What anyone else would do? You get in your car. I went home, and I fell asleep. Well, a couple hours later, I get a phone call from the jail. And the person says, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm in bed. The, trying to explain the situation, the person on the phone said, the park ranger called us and told us what you did. You are AWOL, and you're going to spend the rest of your time in jail. And I'm like, no, I, he told me I can go. And I tried to explain. He's like, nope, next Friday, come to the jail, and you're going to process in and do, spend the rest of your time in jail. So I get to the, the jail that next Friday and go through the loop, and I ask if I can speak to an officer and explain the situation. And I will never forget, I'm sitting in that jail cell, just me and this officer, and he does not even let me speak. He shuts me down, defends that, uh, that ranger, his, you know, his kind of coworker. They work together. And he, like, rips me a new one. I'll never forget it, and I had to spend the rest of my time in jail. Now, I love law enforcement, military, I support you, and I'm grateful for the way that you, you know, um, just do what you do to keep us safe. But when I think of a person, the person that was so hurtful to me, that anger just comes up inside of me, that elicits hate inside of me, it is that park ranger and that officer. And it's easy for me to just, like, justify those feelings and feel like, you know what, that person hurt me. That person did not treat me fairly. And most people would be like, yeah, right? We agree. We support you. But you see, Jesus comes along. And he says, I want you to see, see them differently. I tell you something different. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, hate your enemy. That sounds right. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray, pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus' command is to stop the hate. Don't be a mirror that reflects hate and, and hurtful things when it comes at you. Because it produces more of it. You need to be a filter and respond with love and prayer. Now, there's two reasons why I believe Jesus tells us to respond in prayer. The first one is that when you pray, it changes you. You see, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, is already inside of you, but, but kind of begins to fill you up so that it's possible for you to respond to that difficult person in the way that Jesus would respond and is calling you to respond. You see, when you get into a fight with your spouse or your difficult coworker, or you fill in the blank. When you can stop, take a time out, take a little walk, and pray, it just transforms that moment. It allows the Holy Spirit to come inside of you and to empower you to do what you can't do 
on your own to filter out that negativity coming at you to possibly respond in a different way. Physiologically, your heart rate begins to just slow down. And you go from your lower brain, your fight or flight, lower immature brain to your upper brain where you can think critically and logically and rationally and you can come into this conversation without fighting but critically and, uh, and, and in, a, in a healthy mental space. You see, when dealing with difficult people, you need to start by letting God change you through prayer. The second reason why we pray is we pray for the other person. We don't pray that God would like smite them, right? <laughs> that God would like shoot a lightning bolt down on them and boom, take them out. We don't pray that, you know, uh, in, in that moment of prayer, like we're a lawyer coming up with our case, putting it all together in our time of prayer and so that we can come back to that person and prove them wrong and prove why we're right, right? No, that's not why you pray. We don't go away and, and stew in those hateful feelings. No, that is not why we pray. You see, when we pray, it allows us to see the other person as God sees them. See, that park ranger is not my enemy. They are not my enemy. God loves that park ranger. They are made in the image of God. And when I pray, it allows me to see that person the way God does. It allows me to feel towards that person the way God does with love. You see, in prayer, we can stop reflecting the hate. And we can process those emotions and those feelings and respond with love. A few months ago, we uh, did a series called Ghosted. Some of you remember that series. And being ghosted is when you have a relationship with somebody and all of a sudden they stop responding to you, right? They, you, you were calling them, you were texting them, you thought it was cool, and then they're just gone. And this is a growing phenomenon, uh, statistics say, and it is tempting especially, right, to end things to ghost people who are the most difficult, right? I mean, it just makes sense. And I see it all the time, especially with the close ones, especially with the loved ones, family members, cutting off family members because they've crossed this quote-unquote line. They're dead to me. It's over. Spouses ending their marriages because what that person has done hurt them too much or they've just changed. Or friends eliminating friends from their lives because they're just too difficult to manage. You see, Paul comes at us and says, you know what, Paul is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote a letter to the church in Colossae, the city of Colossae. And he says, I know it's tempting to react that way, but he's challenging us to respond in a different way. In chapter 3, verse 13, this is what Paul says. Put this in your heart. Hear it with God's heart. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul is saying, I know it's tempting to ghost, to cut people out of your life, but don't do that. Bear with one another. Bearing with one another can be extremely difficult. Struggle to forgive that difficult person. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, there are some qualifiers because godly forgiveness can, it can be incredibly powerful, but it can 
it needs to be done right. And so I want to give you a little crash course on godly forgiveness. Number one, godly forgiveness recognizes that harm has been done. You see, it realizes, it recognizes that there is pain inside of me. And it is not all right what that person has done. And it needs to be processed. There's this concept called lament. Lament. I don't know if you've heard of that term before. But it is a, a, a biblical principle. We see it in the book of Lamentations and a number of the Psalms are lamenting Psalms. It is when you identify the pain and the hurt inside of you. And you express it to God, the only one that can handle the true pain. You know, the rage, the anger, because of what that person has done to me, we lament it and give it to God through journaling, through crying out in prayer. Lament takes our pain seriously. But it also allows us to not be crushed by it. The second way that godly forgiveness, the second thing to import, uh, recognize about godly forgiveness is it is not the same thing as reconciliation. You see, you may need to relationally cut somebody out of your life. You are never meant to stay in an abusive situation. You need to always remove yourself out of that. And if you are not sure and you want to talk to somebody, the pa Grace Church pastors are safe people to talk to, to process with, and we are here to help guide you if you're in that. But reconciliation, it may be impossible because reconciliation requires the other person to have ownership of what they have done and to repent, which just simply means to change my heart and to change my mind and to change my actions from what I was doing that causes hurt. Even though reconciliation may not be able to happen, forgiveness is required regardless. You see, we forgive the person. We don't forgive the act. Actions have consequences. When I got arrested for meth and went to jail, or, you know, was before that judge, God forgave me. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> but that judge said, you got to go spend 10 days in jail, right? There's consequences for our actions. And reconciliation requires that truth, it comes to light, and sometimes consequences are a part of that. The third thing to understand about godly forgiveness is to recognize that God has forgiven you of all that you have or ever will do when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. And when he forgives you of all that you've ever done, he then says, I, well, I want you to go and do likewise. You see, it's it is who we are as the people of God. It is the identity that we own is that I am a forgiven person by God. And that is so amazing and overwhelming. But it is also how God calls us as to be faithful Christ followers. To live relationally in this world that we live in to all people. R notice that there is no limit. There is no limit attached to Paul's command. To forgive other people as God for, has forgiven you. And Paul is just echoing and reflecting the commands of Jesus in his own words. Even the most painful, hurtful acts. You see, when you personally know and have experienced have been, and have integrated into your soul and your emotions... The incredible forgiveness that God has having for you even though you don't deserve it. When that just sets you free... 
man, it just, you can't help, it just spills over into people, into your lives, even those that have hurt you in, in significant and real ways. In preparation for this message, I watched a number of videos and read some stories of mothers who have forgiven the most awful things any, almost any person can experience. Story after story of these mothers who have forgiven the killers of their own children. And these stories are real. One mother in particular, she shares how this boy who killed her son as time went on became almost like a son to her. Now, make no mistake, in every one of the stories that I read, they all said that this forgiveness took time. And it was it continued to be a struggle and a process. But our tendency is to react and cut that person out of our lives and just to, you know, just to see, see them in awful demonizing kind of ways. But forgiveness, forgiveness sits at the very heart of the gospel. And when the good news, the gospel of Jesus comes into your life and transforms you, we are able to do, to forgive even the worst, painful kinds of things that people have done to us by God's grace. But how, how do we hold on to this tension of forgiving some of the most, the worst things, but this need for justice, right? There's a need for justice for all parties, right? And hope for all parties as well. Well, last weekend, my wife, Desiree, was out of town for five days in Georgia, and I had all four of my kids, and I was in full dad mode all five days, and I, you know, it was, it, to be honest, it was overwhelming, right, getting them ready for school every morning, uh, taking them to their baseball games and soccer games, which was like six hours on the baseball field on Saturday, and just feeding them, and it's just, it could be overwhelming. Now, my family is a passionate bunch. Shocker, right? <laughs> and it can get heated in the Jacobs household. And I came up with this great idea before my wife left, and I thought it was a great idea. It's called the marble jar. And this is how the marble jar works. I would put 10 marbles in the jar, and every time my kids would scream at each other or scream at me, I would take a marble out. And if there were marbles left in the jar, by the end of the day, we would go get ice cream or some sort of treat. We'd go to the dollar store, and they can get a toy. Amazing idea, right? Well, there was also a twist to it. You see, I told the kids, if I get upset and react and scream back at you, which can happen, that I would take five marbles and put them back in the marble jar. And I felt so confident that I was not going to scream. I was planning ahead. Well, guess what happened at the end of every day? That marble jar was full. <laughs> and the kids got lots of treats. I mean, it just is in us. We want to react. We want to, like, just give it back to them, retaliate. It's in us. On social media, someone says something untruthful or hurtful. You want to just retaliate, right, and hurt them or hit them back. And in, you know, in even more deeply, more hurtful kind of ways, when someone has deeply wounded or hurt you, you can almost imagine and dream of like taking revenge on them, right? The problem with revenge is that revenge breeds 
more revenge. It's like taking this mirror and taking another mirror, and what happens? You just get this cycle of revenge and hate going back and forth, and it just does not stop. You see, Paul wrote a letter to a church in the city of Rome called the, the, the Epistle of, Rome, uh, of Romans. And in chapter 12, verse 17, Paul tells us how to respond to difficult people. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in everyone's eyes. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, Paul is giving us the solution in how to deal with difficult, hurtful, harmful, painful people. He says, as hard as it is, do good to them. Do good to them. As followers of Jesus, we are called to end the cycle of taking revenge on the other person. Number one, we pray for them. Number two, we forgive them. But even more than that, we take action towards them. We are called to do good to them. And this can be so hard. It can feel like we're being weak. It can feel like we're being, it's unfair. We're just letting the other person off the hook. It is unjust, it feels like. Right? And so Paul helps us understand that God makes a promise that he will be the one to take revenge and will repay the acts that need to be repaid. You see, God alone knows the inner motives of the heart. He is the only impartial, just judge that will administer justice in that day in the future to evil. And this is good news because the atrocities and the abuse and the awful suffering that some people have been afflicted by, that those acts of evil will not go unseen and they will be repaid. But for those that want to react, and we want to take revenge, it takes incredible real faith, right? Real faith to say, God, I'm going to trust that that person is in your hands, and I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond by intentionally doing good to them. There's a, a, a great book, a, an amazing book, actually. It's called Raging with Compassion. Raging with Compassion, an incredible book by a man named John Swinton. And I'm going to quote part of the book. He says, Goodness does not occur accidentally. Rather, it emerges from intentional practices of caring about and paying attention to particular noble goods, goals, I'm sorry. Evil is of a different order. Evil requires no such purposefulness. One must work to be good, but one happens to be evil. Evil occurs when one strays from the path of truth and beauty. In order to achieve the good, one needs to consciously strive towards it. To move towards evil requires no formal work, only inattention. Inattention to the good. You see, on our own, 
we unintentionally will just react and reflect back the immaturity and the hurt and the difficulty towards those around us. And usually it's the most loved and closest to us that take the brunt of it. Jesus' command is to be not like the mirror, but the water filter, to filter out all that immaturity and that hurt and to give back life to the people that God has in our lives, to intentionally give back good. How did God, how did God deal with difficult people? Well, you see, he died for them. When you reflect back on Jesus and the stages of the cross that he went through to get there, the beating, the whipping, the, I mean, the spitting on, the false accusations, everything that was just put upon Jesus. And he's hanging up on that cross and he's looking down at a lot of the people that were responsible for him being up there. Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and all of Jesus in this moment, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he helps us understand the way we are to respond to the most difficult people, how we are to see them. Jesus wants to enlighten us. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that is true of difficult people in our lives. And if we're honest, that's true of ourselves as well and how Jesus sees us. We don't know what we're doing. Father, forgive us. Man, thank you, God, that he does not hate us and hold hate towards us. God does not cut us off from himself. God does not take revenge on us if and when we believe in his love for us and his, the work of the, on the cross to forgive us of our sin and we repent and we turn our lives and, and, and change our minds in the way that we're thinking and turn our lives to God. You see, the wrath of God, the vengeance was poured out upon Jesus in all of those stages going to the cross. And the good news is that God forgives and he embraces and he welcomes even those, all of us, all of us who don't deserve his love and his forgiveness and his embrace for all of eternity. God wants to speak to a, a few groups of people, and I want to be God's mouthpiece to you right now. For the vast majority of us, we, God wants to just simply speak to you. For the difficult people in your life, think about who those people are. Would you stop being like the mirror that just reacts and, and, and gives back the immaturity and the hurt? By God's grace, would you be like a filter who goes to God in prayer and processes out all of that anger and lament and gives it to God and, and gives back in prayer and in forgiveness and in good works? Life gives back life. You see, God's plan to heal this broken world, to heal friendships and, and relationships with our family members and with our children and our coworkers. God's plan to heal, to restore the world is his partnership with us, those of us who choose to put into practice, to obey these very things. This is how God heals the world, by, through us when we do these things. The second group of people are those who feel like you've gone too far. You feel like maybe you've hurt people 
or you've been hurt in such awful ways, you feel like there is no way that God could forgive you or save you, and I want you to know that that is a lie. It is a lie from the deepest place of darkness. There is nothing that you have or will ever do or that has been done to you that is outside of God's grace and his forgiveness for you. And some of you just need to hear that and allow that beautiful truth to come into your heart right now. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and you can pray a prayer to God, and God will forgive you. And to a final group, those, you know, with a group this size, online and in person, inevitably there are some that are in are actively hurting other people. Maybe it's in, in your home, behind closed doors. Maybe it's in the workplace. You're taking advantage of people. And God wants you to say, just stop. Just stop. It is time to change. It is time for you to let me in and for you to become a godly man or a godly woman and to turn away from that darkness. And if that's you and you want God's mercy to come upon you, to change you, I'm going to pray for you as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you forgive us. God, thank you that you, God, I I, I pray right now that you would bring to mind right now any difficult people. I, I know that for all of us, there's one person in our heart and in our mind from the past or maybe in the present, who's that difficult person that is so difficult to do these things for. God, may you begin to help us pray for that person right now. Do a work in us right now, God. God, may you help us to forgive that person. Maybe not fully, but but take a step towards forgiving that person. God, that you would help us to think of ways to begin to do good to that person. God, for anyone who feels like they have gone too far, God, they hear you speak into their heart and they realize that they have not and you want to forgive them and come into their life and give them peace. Have peace with God. You can say, God, forgive me of my sin, my brokenness. I believe that I have not gone too far and you can come into my life. Come into my life right now. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Teach me how to be like you. I want to shine brightly with forgiveness and love and joy, God, Put that into my life. And God, for anyone here who you know that you're actively hurting other people, and you just want to come before the mercy of God and say, God, I am so sorry. I know that it is not right. And I want to stop. And God, I need your help. And so God, come into my life. God, I believe that you forgive me too. And I'm ready to point my life in a new direction to love the people And I pray that they would begin even today to experience me in a whole new, different way. Pray these things in Jesus.